are. The following program is brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Welcome to two hours of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwynn. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. Good morning, food lovers. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio along with Lana. We have a taste for life and we are satisfying your cravings this morning. We're dedicated to delicious dishes and we hope you'll stay tuned for the next two hours as we go way beyond mere eating and drinking. We're on a mission to find the most exciting places, new experiences, emerging trends, and it's our goal to bring you the best interviews, products, and insight into the world of food. And that's why we're here. There's nowhere else I'd rather be on a Sunday morning than live and in your radio. Good morning. Good morning, Lana. We have a delicious show planned this morning. Our plates are full. And let me enlighten you as to what you can expect for the next two hours. Coming up later this hour, we're creating antipasto art with Chef Alfonso Sana of Canaletto Ristorante. Also next hour, we're dishing with olive oil expert Aris Kafalagianis discussing the merits of Gaia Olives from Greece, his award-winning olive oil line, and what is the newest innovation in olive snack packs, all minus the brine. You get this beautiful taste of olives. Wait till you hear about it. And we're rolling out the red carpet and inviting everyone over for Oscar night. We hope that you'll let your taste in movies be your guide when it comes to a winning menu. Stay tuned coming up at 9 o'clock. The executive chef for the Four Seasons Hotel Beverly Hills, Chef Ashley James is planning an award-winning Oscar dinner. But first, this past week, we caught up with Pizzeria Ortica and Comsa owner and chef David Myers for some stimulating culinary conversation. This is a chef's perspective, a new style conversation we're having here on Food & Wine with Chef Jamie Gwen, a babble of sorts that will allow you to get into the minds and the hearts of America's best chefs. This morning, David Myers sits down at the table with us. He began his lifelong infatuation with food as a child helping out in the gardens of his grandparents' farm. He's worked for Charlie Trotter, Daniel Ballou, and some of the greats. And now there are up-and-coming chefs that are learning from him. His career as the chef and owner of Comsa in Los Angeles and Las Vegas, which we love, Pizzeria Ortica at South Coast Plaza and soon in Hollywood, and his two restaurants in Tokyo are booming. And we are delighted to have you back and here in the radio, David. Welcome. Thanks, Jamie. Hi. How are you? We're doing great. Thank you. Lana and I here with you. Uh, hey, Lana. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we hear that you are opening in Hollywood this spring. Do tell. Well, we are going to do another one of our Pizzeria Ortica restaurants. Really excited about that. You know, pizza is just one of those loved dishes that, you know, it translates so well anywhere. And I'm a huge pizza fanatic. You know, I needed something a little closer to home. So uh, <laughs> we decided Hollywood would be the great place to launch. Love that. You know, your original Pizzeria Ortica is right in our backyard. And so we are there often. I love the very fresh farmer's market approach that you take 
to pizza specifically and to the food at Pizzeria Ortica. Uh, an, an antipasto platter of sorts at Pizzeria Ortica is my kind of meal. All the agrodolce, all the fresh flavors, lots of beautiful greens. There is nothing better than pizza from that oven. Well, thanks a lot. You know, for us, it's all about the wood-burning oven. Mm. And then, of course, the, the impeccable ingredients. And we're so blessed here in California to have that. You know, we have so many farmers markets we're able to go to and just pick the cream of the crop. So, you know, that's really what it comes down to with, with making incredible food in general. And I always tell my friends when they're looking to do something simple at home and they're looking for a tip, I said, look, hit the farmers markets, buy the best you can get, yeah. and then do the least amount to it. You know, Chef, one of the things I love about farmers markets, and I was talking about this earlier in the week, is that you feel much more inclined to ask for a taste than you do when you're in the supermarket. Even if there is a produce guy and he's putting out pears, I encourage everyone to ask for a taste of the pear at Bristol Farms. But when you're at the farmer's market, you sort of become one and get connected with the grower when you taste his apples. And there's you know, nothing it, better it, than that. Then then you're motivated to make something delicious. You know, the farmers have to kick me out of their stand because I will eat all the <laughs> way through the product. You know, I'm one of those guys that I'm like, you know what, how about a couple more tastes? Oh, you're the guy uh, that eats all the samples. I, Great. I am. I am. I, Good I for you. I try to go incognito on it and uh, <laughs> a different hat, et cetera, but they always catch me. Yeah, how's that working for you, Chef? Not good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I didn't suspect so. If you were at the farmer's market this weekend or next, we're uh, definitely in still in the heart of winter produce, lots of root vegetables visible, but what else would you be buying? You know, I love root vegetables, and oh, now is the time, I mean, to, to really explore. We only have a couple more months of it. You know, the rutabaga is, is an often overlooked, incredible uh, root vegetable. Oh. I love it. I like to do little root vegetable packages where it's celery root, a little bit of rutabaga, and I basically cut it up into a nice julienne, cook it with a little bit of brown butter to give it that sort of nutty note, and then wrap it in a little bit of cabbage with maybe some quinoa, and it's just a fantastic, oh. uber-healthy snack. Totally uber healthy. I, I love the idea that you bring in a grain, too, because while root vegetables make a beautiful side dish, they're very often overlooked as center of the plate. And when you bring in the quinoa and you wrap up these bundles like Chef is doing, you really have a vegetarian paradise, Lana. Ooh, for our vegetarian friends, they would love this. I love it. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, one of the things, Chef, that I like most about you and your style of cooking is that your restaurant experience and the fact that you've opened restaurant after restaurant to great success has translated beautifully to the home cook. The last time you were here... I asked you what you were cooking with friends this weekend. You you talked about brick chicken off the barbecue and how you make this succulently juicy chicken that everyone talks about. And that's what our listeners want to hear. So what's the newest best dish coming out of your home kitchen? Well, you know what? Thank you for that kind comment, Jamie. And I love cooking at home just you as do. much as I love cooking in a restaurant. It's, it's a lot less uh, stressful, I can tell you that. I can have a glass of wine while I'm doing it. It's perfect. Um, you know, what I'm doing right now that I am just in love with is I'm doing a little bit of a short rib pot It's just a simple short rib broth that is a really a meal in one. And, you know, I, I take the short rib and I actually do it a little bit Japanese style where I have some ginger, some daikon, an incredible, glorious, simple broth made with chicken stock. And then I cook the short ribs in that. And then just a little bit of organic brown rice. And let me tell you, that is a satisfying meal on these California cold nights. I love that you are very 
distinctly combining your classical French background and your brasserie-style restaurant dishes like Comsa with what I would think is inspiration from the Tokyo restaurants. You definitely have more of an Asian influence in your dishes than ever. Well, you know, you hit it on the head. How could I not be influenced when I'm traveling to a place like Japan and just such incredible food there and I'm learning? So for me, as a chef, you know, our, our goal is always to learn. And I am just constantly on the path of finding new ways to do things. And, of course, you do what you know and what you're comfortable with. Right. So to be able to blend the two, that's really creativity. And that's what I urge all of my friends at home who are cooking to do. You know, go out on a limb a little bit. Blend a couple of different styles. You know, you can use your, your classic French technique, but maybe pick up a little bit of ginger or pick up a little bit of wasabi and fold that in in some capacity. I mean, this pot of food is just fantastic. What else can we create with Asian inspiration? I make a chicken soup, chef, that I think cures the common cold. It's my mother's Jewish penicillin chicken soup combined with, like you just said, ginger, garlic, and scallions. So it has this, uh, you know, bright Asian flavor from all those aromatics. What other dishes can you give us as an example that we can create Asian fusion? Now, hold on, Jamie. You just said your mother's chicken it's it's the it's the penicillin cure right there. That is unbelievable. You need to market that. <laughs> yeah, I, I my, love that. I, I may have to steal that right there. That my mother's gross. Jewish penicillin chicken soup with some Asian I, influence. Yeah, perfect. First of all, it's a mouthful, but it's one that I want to eat. So, <laughs> incredible. Thank How you. wonderful. Incredible. Thank you for the compliment. Okay, now you throw a dish at us. All right, you got it. So, you know, for me, speaking of chicken, I love chicken salads. And, and instead of the typical Chinese chicken salad, if you will, that's out there, or even an American chicken salad, which is heavy with mayonnaise, I like a much lighter, more delicate Japanese style where it's a little bit of soy. It's a little, you make your pon, own ponzu, essentially, with a little bit of grated ginger, some chopped red cabbage, the, the chicken that you can steam. Right. which I think has a much lighter, more delicate texture with the salad. It's just very clean, very bright, vibrant. A little bit of okra that's been cooked in dashi, and that's it. And you have yourself an incredibly healthy, diverse dish of vegetables and chicken with you know, the right bracing type of vinaigrette that really weaves it all together. David, on the spot, not only are you too cool, but so incredibly talented. Please stay with us because we know everyone wants more of Chef David Myers. This is a chef's perspective. What knives does the chef use? And why is he big on brunch when we come back? Komsa, Pizzeria Ortica, and two restaurants in Tokyo. The chef and owner at the helm, David Myers, with us as the delicious conversation continues. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away. We have the best culinary thinkers on this show. This is a place for people who love to eat. Chef Jamie Gwen, along with Lana in your radio. He is David Myers, and this is a chef's perspective. Chef, you believe that the knife is an extension of your hand, and you're very specific about the tools you love. Would you share some of the brands and the reasons why, please? Absolutely, Jamie. You know, I think I have a little bit of a samurai inside of me because I love Japanese knives. I look at these and take care of them if, as, as if they were these family heirloom swords that were handed down generations ago. You know, knives really are your extension as a chef of your hand. It's, it's the most important and critical tool when it comes to uh, prepping. And, you know, for me, money is no object when it comes to getting a nice knife. I want something that is going to last me my entire life. I want something that I really connect with. I love Japanese knives because, you know, how can you get any better? It's coming from history 
of the samurai. You know, it, it just doesn't get much better than that. But I urge you to get something that is easy to maintain and easy to sharpen. And it is very important to have a sharp knife. You know, a lot of my young cooks coming in, they're, they're working so hard and they just forget to sharpen their knife sometimes. And, you know, then they, they go to get cut. And it's a, it's, it's a cut that's a lot worse than if you actually had a sharp knife. And also, the, obviously, prepping is a lot longer when you don't have a sharp knife. That's true. The, the time that it takes to prepare for a dish with a sharp knife and the best tools makes the time go by quicker in order to get dinner on the table. And that's something in with our busy lifestyles that we're all looking for, for sure. When it comes to knives, do you have three in your arsenal? Do you believe in a paring knife, a chef's knife, and a serrated? You know, it's interesting. When I started out, I had about every knife and tool known to man. Well, actually, sorry. When I started out, I had three knives. And then as I progressed in the business, I bought everything under the sun. And now I use only one knife. That's it. I just I need one knife only for everything that I do. But I would say for home cooks, you know, to have a paring knife is very helpful. Have a great peeler and then have a chef's knife, something that is not too big. I'd say medium size that enables you to not only cut vegetables, but butcher meat and fish at the same time. Less is more. And I would say invest in higher quality knives, just one or two that will last you a lifetime. The quality pays off. Isn't that true? And with everything, you buy the best and it lasts the longest. <laughs> David, David, what is your favorite secret ingredient? You know, Lana, I have a few and I can't tell you. I'll tell you my last favorite. How about that? Because okay. the current one is kind of a secret. But I love yuzu kosho. <laughs> you love um, what? It, Wait, say it again, Jeff. Sure. I love yuzu kosho. And yuzu kosho is a little known Japanese spice that has turned my world upside down. It's a mixture of the yuzu skin and uh, shishito pepper. And it's basically been cured with salt. It is incredible with grilled fish, grilled meat. It's great mixed in with a little bit of ponzu to go with noodles. It's fantastic in a broth, just to spice up a broth a little bit. I mean, this is my, this is my cure all wonder right here. You know, this is, this is incredible. It's a dried mixture, a powder of sorts. No, it's a paste. It's a and, paste. Um, yes, yeah. So it's yuzu skin and shishito pepper. So we and all we all love yuzu skin because it's the most beautiful, bright acidity of any of the American-style oranges, clementines, tangerines, pomelos that you could choose. It's the Asian citrus that has mandarin and orange and a hint of lime, and it, it brings that bright, beautiful flavor to dishes. And then it has, you said, kosho, so that's the shishito. Yeah, which, a little bit. Shishito pepper. It's got a spicy note, so it's got yes. a little bit of heat. Um, it's fantastic. And, you know, you just summed it up so beautifully, Jamie. The, the aroma of yuzu mm. is wondrous. It's something that I want to have as a cologne. It's so beautiful. <laughs> You're putting a little bit of this paste behind your ears in the morning? Yeah. Are you kidding? Don't tell anybody. That's exactly <laughs> what I'm doing. Makes it very popular with the ladies. I'll be right over. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm trying. <laughs> is, is it red? Uh, no, it's not. There, there actually is a red yuzu kosho, but this one is green, and I prefer the green. Oh, the good green. to know. All right. I thought I was Great. in love with togarashi. Oh, my gosh. Wait till you try this. This is a whole other level. Well, you can buy it online as well as, I'm sure, at Japanese markets. Terrific. We'll look for yes, it. Yes, you can. Yep, absolutely. In very much of the Asian style, do you have a couple of kitchen tools, which I know you've narrowed it down uh, with great simplicity to one knife, but any Japanese-inspired kitchen tools that you like to keep on hand? 
Absolutely. I love a Japanese mandolin. Yes, um, me too. I also like, there's, there's a little tool that's very inexpensive that I picked up at uh, just a Japanese store. And it's basically, it, it's a mandolin, but it also has holes on the top of it with little raised marks, if you will, so I can grate daikon. It also has another area for grating uh, ginger. It's just this ultimate, um, you know, three-in-one tool. How cool. So you don't need one of the ceramic ginger trays to grate ginger anymore. You can actually utilize your uh, Japanese mandolin, which, by the way, you can pay $150 or more for a stainless steel French-made mandolin. And while they're beautiful and make lovely showpieces, I find the $20, $25 version in the Japanese very good quality plastic style so much better. I'm with you right yeah, there. It, it's so functional and, um, you know, again, coming down to the blade and the knife, I mean, it's just so incredibly sharp. Makes short work of anything you have. What qualities, chef, do you look for when hiring cooks for your restaurant? We want to better get to know you and your style and how your restaurants operate the way that they do. So well, what are well, you looking for? qualities that I look for in young cooks coming in is number one passion. I want mm. I want to see wanderlust in their eyes for this business. I want them to be so excited and so passionate and so willing to explore. I want them to have incredible energy. You know, we, we want people that just are able to energize others around them. And uh, you know, those are the top two traits. We can teach anybody how to cook. But if they don't have that drive and that passion and that curiosity, it's not gonna work. And so we, we are extremely focused on those three traits and finding just the right fit for us. And there's some incredibly talented cooks that just aren't the right fit for our restaurant. And, you know, so, so we're very, very particular. And I'm pleased to say that it's, it's so great and inspiring for me as a chef to work with young culinarians like that who have that passion. It, it's, just, it's inspiring and it pushes me to try to be better so I can be better for them. I think it very much applies to the home cook, too. I was raised by a very, very passionate cook, and Lana has continued to grow her passion. And I feel it, and I see it, and I'm motivated by it, and I try to continue that passion. And there's no doubt that there is nothing better than somebody who loves what they're doing, whether you're at your own stove or in a professional kitchen. It shows in the food. You you just you, you got it exactly right. That's exactly right. You know, passion cures all. Passion cures all. I love that. Direct from the lips of <laughs> Chef David Myers. Uh, last question, Chef. Uh, with spring around the corner, or hopefully so, because we've had some cool weather here in Southern California. I say cool with, you know, a, just just an ounce of humor attached. But yeah. as we embark on spring, tell us uh, what you plan to be cooking and what you're excited about adding to the menu. Sure. Well, I, I, I can't tell you how excited I am to see peas, asparagus, and artichokes come into season again. I mean, I am just going to go berserk. And, you know, you have this window where they're truly at their peak, and you understand how magical these vegetables really are. I am, like, craving pea soup with a little bit of yuzu kosho. That's, that's what I'm craving right now. Pea soup, yuzu kosho, that, call it a day. It's perfect. I'm craving to do a little shaved artichoke salad with a little bit of soy and a little bit of olive oil and just super, super simple, but it adds a little bit of depth to those artichokes. And I want asparagus and sesame. It's, it's just calling me. That's what I want. And I, I can't wait till spring is here. 
And we can't wait till spring is here as well so that we can dine on your in your restaurants on all of those dishes. We thank you for always sharing your passion, Chef. You are the incredible dichotomy of talent in the kitchen and the ability to verbalize the message, and it comes forth. And we are always delighted and proud to have you on the radio. If you would like to know about David Meyer's group of restaurants as his empire continues to grow, please check out the website at davidmeyersgroup.com. It is David. Myers, M-Y-E-R-S group.com. We can't wait to see you in a restaurant soon and to have you back on the radio. Well, thanks, guys. And you can also follow me at, at Chef David Myers on Twitter. Oh, fabulous. We'll definitely do that. Great. Thanks, Jamie. Then, thanks, Lana. It's so oh, great to talk to you guys. Thank, thank you, you so much, Chef. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. There's more on the table right after this. Don't go away. Teaching you all the right moves from my kitchen to yours. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio along with Lana. We hope you'll check out chefjamie.com, C-H-E-F-J-A-M-I-E.com, where you'll find recipes galore, stress-free, quick, easy ways to put a delicious meal on the table any night of the week or for Sunday supper tonight. Plus, there's Oscar inspiration, too. The radio recipe of the week is the best old-fashioned fried chicken I could share with you, comfort food at its finest, and Certainly the best dish if you loved The Help, the Academy Award nominee for Best Picture, the movie set in the South, certainly applies to fried chicken and chocolate cream pie. You'll find pound cake cookies posted on the site as well at chefjamie.com. And you can always find me on Facebook and Twitter under Chef Jamie Gwen. Earlier this week, we took Alfonso Sana, the executive chef of Canaletto Ristorante, at Fashion Island out of his kitchen, and we thought we would make some antipasto art. Take a listen. We're here to spice up your life, Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio along with Lana. Lots of tasty recipes being shared here that call for loads of fresh ingredients, but also sneak in some primo prepared stuff to make things fast and easy. The next time that unexpected company drops by, don't panic. You will be well prepared with a well-stocked pantry, and you'll be able to put together the ultimate antipasto platter in minutes. He is Alfonso Sana, the man behind the menu at Canaletto Ristorante in Newport Beach and one of our favorite Italian chefs. And he joins us to give us some tips and tricks. Ah, buongiorno, chef. Good morning. Buongiorno. Nah, buongiorno. Lana and I are well. We always love talking with you, chef. You have such passion, even early in the morning. <laughs> it's true. You grew up in um, a small village of Villamar, right, in Sardinia? Villamar in Sardinia, yes, correct. The second largest island in the Mediterranean, I know. Because we've spent a lot of time together, and you're very deeply rooted in tradition and where you come from, and we love that. So if your mom was to make an antipasto platter to start a meal, what would it consist of? Well, my mother and, uh, you know, the family of my mother, basically they have a beautiful land, and they have a lot of uh, olive trees, so... Mm. You know, we create the kinds of appetizer with the olives that my grandmother, my mother makes uh, from scratch. And mm. then uh, we had the salamis from the neighborhood. We had the cheeses from the neighborhood. We had all this kind of uh, food that was available around the area. That's quite a luxury. And we have a lot of wonderful artisans that produce 
the cured meats and the cheeses locally. I happen to like the idea of putting together an antipasto platter that has a theme, though. If you're doing an all-Italian antipasto platter, then the best Italian meats, which we go to Bristol Farms and we can get great meats from around the world, and some of the best cheeses, or you could do some Spanish inspiration, or you could combine them all and have a Mediterranean influence. But if we were to put together then an antipasto platter from Canaletto, talk us through it. Let's start with the different meats that you would be able to buy and what they're made up of. Well, for the, these are two kinds of antipastis I like to create. When I go, when I have guests or when I eat at home too, there's always uh, two big differences, which is the one with the cured meats right. and the, maybe some cheeses. Uh, and then if you want to be fancy, I like to do like appetizer with the seafood a lot. Oh, so Because nice. I come from the island, so I love seafood. Yes. And there is a lot of items that you can do cold, like uh, cold uh, like the sardine and sour that we have here in the restaurant, which is a beautiful sardines. They are fried and then uh, they are uh, marinated in sweet and sour with the white onions, just lightly braised. Mm. And then uh, uh, wait, wait, you, know, you you just you didn't say it, but you just created agrodolce, right? Yeah, and then uh, for if you like, uh, you know, the cold uh, the cold cats, I have uh, of course the prosciutto, which is the one that we use here is the uh, prosciutto San Daniele which is from Friuli, from very north of Italy, and has a very distinct flavor, very, very strong, very beautiful, very, and also very buttery. Mm-hmm. And, um, Chef, you know you what know. I like to do? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to pause there. When it comes to prosciutto, I like to stand in front of the deli counter, and I like to ask whomever is working behind the counter to give me a taste of the different styles of prosciutto that are being offered, let's say, in the case at Bristol Farbs at any one time. And Lana and I will stand there and we'll determine if we like the saltiness of one of the cured hams to another, and then we'll pick which prosciutto we like that day or dependent upon what we're serving or what kind of platter we're putting together. Yes, definitely. Every single prosciutto has different characteristics. And, you know, some prosciutto is just good like that with the little parmigiano. Right. But some, especially if you look for something more um, uh, Hispanic or even the Sardinian wild boar prosciutto. Yes. You need something like a really strong cheese, a nice piece of bread, and, uh, you know, something stronger to get together, like a glass of wine, something like that. But if you have like a soft, mild prosciutto, then you can do like an appetizer, wrap it in, prosci- in uh, figs, if it's the season of the figs. Mm. Wrap it with uh, the figs and you put some uh, gorgonzola in the middle, some blue cheese. And maybe if you have uh, balsamic re- reduction or just uh, aged balsamic, just put on top. If you, if you like the sweet and sour flavor, that would be great. Otherwise, uh, prosciutto, wrap it with uh, kiwis. Kiwis? Yeah. How so nice. Very nice combination. Then you can do asparagus wrapping prosciutto, or um, as I, w- I love to do, is uh, make a little uh, candies with the prosciutto, and then in the middle have like goat cheese, uh, soft goat cheese uh, mixed with uh, herbs, maybe roasted bell pepper, something like that to give a flavor to your goat cheese, mm-hmm. and then you wrap, make a little candies with the prosciutto. I think everything you make tastes like candy, mm-hmm. I have to tell you. And Chef, I love standing in front of your big red. Oh, the slicer, the slicing machine at Canaletto. Yeah, we call that the Ferrari of slicers. Quite fabulous. The Ferrari, yeah. The Ferrari makes a huge difference when you talk about prosciutto or or cutting like brezzaola 
or those kind of items they are very very delicate and they basically my slicer cuts through the the meat very very slow just like a knife so it doesn't alterate the flavors and the fat content of the prosciutto you know those uh, slicers they are very very fast usually they kind of change somehow the flavor because the speed that the blade has on top of the prosciutto that makes makes a huge difference. I agree entirely. I also think that the slower speed of the high-class slicers don't heat up as much. Yeah. And so, therefore, they don't affect the fat and the ratio of fat to meat that you get in each bite when you have a perfectly shaved slice of prosciutto off of Alfonso's Ferrari of slicers. If you've just tuned in, by the way, you're late because I'm starving already. <laughs> Alfonso Sana is putting together the ultimate antipasto platter. And the beauty of what he just described, the chef at the helm of Canaletto in Newport Beach, which we love to dine at, what he just described was without any need for cooking. It was all completely cold preparation. And this is how you can save just about any day by putting together a beautiful antipasto platter. It could be served as a small first course appetizer, could be served in larger portions as a complete meal. Let's keep building this platter, chef. You mentioned prosciutto, brajola. Tell us about brajol and mortadella. Tell us about the meats themselves. The, mor the mortadella basically, you know, we are lucky because it comes straight from Italy since it's uh, cooked. Yes. And uh, the one that I like a lot is made with pistachios inside. Mm -hmm. Yes. And uh, mortadella is a classic in the Bologna, Emilia-Romagna region. Mm hmm and it's cooked in the, most of the time when you go in Bologna, they have um, a big mortadella. The diameter of the mortadella is, is pretty big. And uh, they slice it by hand again with a, with a knife in front of you, and they make you like a sandwich. It just came out of the oven, nice and warm. And that's the best way to have mortadella for me. Mm. There is nothing like that. All the flavors, if you warm it up with the bread... They all came together, it just melts in your mouth, and you are like an happy man again. Mm -hmm. <laughs> again, yes, that sounds like... And again. And again, and again. A very sexy sandwich. Okay, so with our cured meat and cheeses platter, we have a few meats now. Parmigiano-Reggiano should uh, be one of the cheeses for sure? Absolutely. Yes. And what else do you like Well, with I the like meat and cheese? Uh, since you have all the meats, like uh, you can use uh, coppa or capocollo. Yes which is uh, the neck of the pig, it's been cured, so it's beautiful, the strong, strong flavor. Then you have salamis, you can do the brezaola, which is needs some, uh, like, um, lemon olive oil on top. If you want to do some shea parmigiano, some wild arugula on top, it's mm. even better. Perfect. Then you have, uh, you know, the speck, which is the shoulder of the, of the pork, which is uh, smoked first and then cured, I mean, cured first, and then smoked. So you get like different flavors. And then what I like to do is have the cheese and some cornichon, some, mm. some uh, sotaceti, some, you know, vegetables pickled, like um, a very small bite, not, not the big pickles or anything like that, you know. Right, the nice. little the little baby ones that tend to have uh, the cornichon, a little bit of yeah. uh, delicacy to them. They're not as big and briny as a pickle would be. They have a little bit of sweetness to them, and they offset the richness of many of the meats. Yeah, sometimes I made myself some um, pickled vegetables. Uh, we call it jardiniera. Yes. Basically, it means everything that comes from the garden. That's my favorite, too. Yeah, it's oh, so beautiful. It's so, so delicate. It's, it's yes. amazing. It's just so easy, easy to prep. I mean, you need just uh, water, sugar, salt, and vinegar. 
and then you blanch your vegetable all separate and then you let mm-hmm. it you know, rest in the same juice for like a week. Mm-hmm. So everything comes together and all the flavors come together nice and they have a beautiful bite. In, mm-hmm. You know, all the vegetables, of course, they have to be al dente. Yes. And it depends on the vegetables they have in the garden. Mm-hmm. You make a beautiful giardiniera and you serve like that with your antipasti platter. Okay, now that is an antipasto platter, a gourmet lover's antipasto platter. We're going to take a quick break. But when we come back, more of the best Italian recipes from Chef Alfonso Sana at the helm of Canaletto in Newport Beach, part of the Il Fornaio family, one of our favorite Italian cooks, his seafood antipasti, right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away. Welcome back. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. From seafood to beef to pasta and risotto to a beautiful oyster bar and the best prosciutto and parmigiano-reggiano you've ever had. There's a little something for everyone at Canaletto Restaurant in Newport Beach. You know, pasta, ice cream, and good table manners have one thing in common, Lana, and that is an enduring Italian culinary contribution, all of them brought to us by great Italians who love to eat. Mm. And the antipasto platter brought to us by the history of Italy itself as well means before the meal. And it's the idea of having small bites of delicious food that sort of stimulate the appetite. For me, it could be an entire meal. And as Chef Alfonso Sana has been recanting about all these beautiful uh, meat and cheese combinations. I'm very excited, Chef, for the opportunity to talk more about a, a seafood antipasti. You mentioned the fried sardines. What else could we put on our fish or seafood-inspired platter? Well, the usual, you know, the classic, uh, uh, they can stay like one hour out from the refrigerator with maybe some uh, ice tray on the bottom. Yes. will be like blanch uh, shrimp, poached shrimp. Mm-hmm. I love like the Mexican shrimp here in the States. Yeah, the Mexican white shrimp. Aren't they the shrimp beautiful? And they tend to be very sweet. Yeah, and what you can do, you can do some different dipping sauces, you know, like Aurora sauce, like a mayonnaise with some uh, kind of extra flavor, and, uh, you know, like a, even a cocktail sauce, you know, mm-hmm. with the horseradish and some Tabasco in there to give the spice. Mm-hmm. That will be also a nice, uh, you know, plate. But what I really love... Uh, for, uh, you know, when it comes from, like, Italian, authentic. I love the lobster. The, um, there is a place in uh, where I come from, in Sardinia, the island of Sardinia, that specializes in lobster. The city is called Alghero, and what they do, they do this lobster alla catalana, which is an amazing, amazing, amazing dish. Of course, we use the Spanish lobster. We blanch the lobster just, you know, seven, eight minutes, enough to cook through. And uh, then we cut in pieces with the shells and everything. And uh, we slice some fresh uh, onions, the red onions from Tropea, and uh, tomatoes. You know, the summertime tomatoes, mm-hmm. heirloom tomatoes, fresh basil. Mm-hmm. And then the dressing is mm-hmm. just a little bit of mustard, a little bit of... Um, Dijon mustard, chef? Oil. Yeah, Dijon, Dijon mustard. mustard, the oil from the pepperoncini. Yeah, the oil for the pepperoncino. Extra virgin olive oil, of course, we are yeah. Italians. And then <laughs> some fresh squeezed uh, lemon juice. Mm. And then we toss everything together, fresh parsley on top. Mm. And uh, if you eat it, like, you know, the, first, the next uh, 10, 15 minutes, when it starts to get a little cold, it's something that's amazing and unbelievable. And mm. all the flavors come together. 
probably is one of the best appetizer ever. Oh, it sounds wonderful. When's it going on the menu at Canaletto? Because we'll drive there now. <laughs> <laughs> Chef, how about octopus? You do such a wonderful preparation. The octopus basically now became a, a number one sell here in the restaurant at Canaletto. Mm -hmm. The octopus is um, another very simple dish, if you want to. Is uh, the quality of the octopus, which is amazing. It comes from uh, from Europe, and uh, we, you know, we cook the octopus a regular style, like everybody does. But what makes the difference at Canaletto? We roasted for a few minutes on the flat top grill, and uh, the caramelization of the octopus is what gives extra flavor to the octopus. And then we add some, you know, the potatoes, the celery, we bring some freshness with the lemon juice fresh squeezed lemon juice and extra virgin olive oil, and then some parsley, pretty much that's it. It's a very simple dish. Uh, all those ingredients together with the lemon and the celery brings, you know, a world of difference. And if mm. we were to make it at home, Chef, do you uh, braise or boil or roast the you octopus know. first before you caramelize the exterior? You have to boil it first. You have to boil it first. There's something about Alfonso's... Octopus, mm. Lana, that we can't get enough of. It is definitely the smoky finish with the caramelization mm -hmm. from the flat top, but there is a a chew to it, a bite. It's tender, but it still has gusto, and and you you can feel the the bite, the piece, the taste, and then the acidity of the lemon juice and the richness of the potato and the crunch of the celery and the bite of the red onion all comes together. You do make the best octopus salad anywhere, bar none. It is the perfect dish. Yes, that Thank it is, Chef. Much. And we can all aspire to put it on our seafood antipasti platter. So we've created the beautiful meat and cheese antipasto platter or the seafood uh, Italian style antipasti platter from where you come from. If we were to go on to a great Italian meal, it's deep in the heart of winter and Lana and I were planning for baked pasta tonight. So would you give us a couple of last minute tips? Okay, the baked pasta that we do here at Canaletto, we have uh, two. And uh, one is the all wheat, um, you know, barrel shaped pasta called Barilotti. Mm -hmm. And uh, we just uh, sauteed some uh, little bit of garlic with fresh tomatoes eggplants and tomato sauce, mm. and then we toss the pasta together, we put some uh, smoked mozzarella, some mm. fresh parmigiano inside, yes. and then we bake it in the oven with more smoked mozzarella, and uh, it goes in the oven, so the mozzarella basically melts on top of the, you know, the cheese goes on top of the pasta and, you know, makes a nice, um, nice dish for the winter time. And then the other dish that we have, it's a cannelloni, it's a classic, mm. you know, all over Italy. Uh, the one that we do here is made with chicken. We take the rotisserie chicken, made fresh every day, and uh, we take it off the skin. Of course, there's no fat at all, just the meat. We chop with a knife. We mix uh, fresh spinach, organic spinach, and uh, some uh, fresh mozzarella, some smoked mozzarella, parmigiano, a little bit of uh, ricotta cheese. Mm. And then uh, we make the cannelloni, or if you want to, you know, in, uh, in the store now they have the manicotti, if you don't want to do the fresh pasta, you can stuff the manicotti. You know, you pre-cook the manicotti and then you stuff. And then you, you know, just bake it in the oven with, uh, if you like, some bechamel or some tomato sauce. Mm. And, uh, you know, some cheese on top. That's mm. the most important thing. When you put the mm. cheese on top mm. and you bake it in the oven, it caramelizes the, mm. the cheese. And that's what it gives the great flavor to your dish. I think Lana just fainted, Alfonso. <laughs>
So you're making cannelloni Alfonso Ooh. Sana style tonight. I'm making the baked pasta with the eggplant and the smoked mozzarella. I'll, I'll be over. Okay, and I'll come to your house just after. We'll consider it progressive dining. I think there is nothing better than Italian food to slow things down and savor a great meal. So consider that an antipasto platter or baked pasta would be the perfect meal for dinner tonight. Or if you, you know, are ever in a bind and you do need a great meal set out of gourmet ingredients on a platter, it will please the palates of just about any culinarian. Chef, we love your inspiration and your passion, and we are always delighted when you join us, and we cannot wait to see you at Canaletto soon. Thank you for sharing all of your secrets. Thank you very much for having me. Oh. Grazie, signore. Grazie. Ciao. 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 But don't you go anywhere. No chow chow to you. No, no, no. I'm <laughs> the delicious conversation continues right after this. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. Don't go away. Welcome to the second hour of delicious conversation with Chef Jamie Gwen. Dish with celebrity chefs, cookbook authors, and food experts, and gain inspirational ideas. You'll learn kitchen wisdom, wine education, and culinary trends, and eat and drink like you've never done before. Food and Wine with Chef Jamie Gwynn starts now. This is the second hour of Delicious Conversation in your radio every Sunday morning. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana. We're always serving up seconds at chefjamie.com. If you're craving a creamy Alfredo, I have the best recipe. If you're curious to try pad thai at home, I'll teach you how. You want to make chicken tonight? Well, you can get started with my list of chicken recipes. Home cooks rejoice. You have found the most delicious conversation on the radio. Coming up this hour, stay tuned at 9.30, just a half an hour away. The president and CEO of Gaia Olives, the number one Greek product line around the world and his extraordinary olive oils, which have been touted as some of the best in the world. They are completely green, aside from the fact that they come from a green olive. They are carbon neutral. And you're going to hear a discussion of olive oil, a lesson in what you should look for when you're buying olive oil coming up in just a little bit. His name is Eris Kafalogianis. I'm going to get his last name right. My, my Greek's a little weak this morning, but Eris is coming up. And stay tuned. In just a moment, we're going to get another chef's perspective and some insight as to what you can plan for your Oscar menu. Uh, but first, Lana, what's on your uh, Oscar menu 2012? I want to know. Oh, well, I have been inspired by this Descendants, which love takes that place movie. in Hawaii. I right? did love it. Yeah. And I am doing a, a crab cake that will be breaded with a pretzel crust. Ooh, yeah. Just throw some pretzels in your food processor with a little panko crumbs and bread your crab cakes with that and it really is all this salty deliciousness. Yeah, nice to go with the brininess of mm-hmm. the crab. You've got the salt and the the dry pretzel to cut through. That sounds delicious. Yes, and also the help Great inspiration from the South. Just watch that again. And let's try a fried chicken biscuit sandwich with bacon cream gravy. Oh, bring it on. Oh. Oh, we have a a bacon cream gravy on the website. In fact, I'm going to mention it again, chefjamie.com. And you can plan your own winning menu inspired by the movies that you loved. Mm -hmm. And what else you got? 
Oh my gosh, there is so much there. <laughs> That's true. There, you know, there are favorite foods from movies. There are storylines or places that the movies are set in that you can use to inspire you. I'm going to share my Oscar menu coming up this Thursday on KTLA Channel 5's Morning News. I will be live with Allie McKay from Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach, which by the way, brings me to mention that breakfast this morning in studio is a banana chocolate chip coffee cake mm, direct so from the delicious. Bristol Farms Bakery with mm. the warm chocolate that just oozed out of the cinnamon banana flavored coffee cake. If you're right near a Bristol Farms right now, you should pull your car over and go get a big, huge square of it because it was so good. But with Allie, you're going to be uh, drinking champagne pretty early. Uh, yeah, that we are, yes. And somehow uh, red-hued to celebrate the Oscars and golden-dusted. I think I'm going to dust everything just in Oscar style. But I won't disclose my menu. I'll just give you a tease, okay? Thursday morning, KTLA, Channel 5, Allie McKay. Three words. Three words. Live from Bristol Farms in Manhattan Beach. Apple pie milkshakes. So be sure to tune in because you wouldn't want to miss that, right? Mm, I'm in for that. Okay, good. <laughs> and we're in for a whole nother hour of delicious conversation. As mentioned, we have Chef Ashley James, an interview that we spoke with him a couple of days ago based on how to plan your Oscar menus right here, right now. So take a listen. The Oscars are just a week away, and we think it's the perfect occasion to cook up a feast and invite some friends over to dish about the stars. Chef Ashley James, the executive chef of the Four Seasons Hotel Los Angeles at Beverly Hills, has a few mouth-watering menu ideas that will make for a truly winning evening. He is the executive chef at one of L.A.'s premier culinary hubs for the entertainment industry. And Ashley is always impressing the A-list of Hollywood, so who better than to create an Oscar menu? His incredible background from Michelin star's starred restaurants around the world, brought him to the Four Seasons, and you see him on his PBS show called Cuisine Culture. It's so nice to have you back, Chef. Good morning. Good morning, Jamie and Lana. <laughs> How are you? Yes, good morning. We're doing great. Thank you. We're just a week away from our own Oscar party, and we love that you have a little bit of influence on the ideas when it comes to Best Picture, Best Actress, and more. So start us out. We know you saw a movie recently that you loved, and you're thinking Iron Lady has a place at our party, do you? Absolutely. Well, you know, <laughs> being a Brit, first of all, um, you know, Margaret Thatcher, Lady Thatcher, such an amazing person. You know, I think when she won the election, um, oh, I was sat- sitting with my grandmother. I was probably about 10 years of age. But I had to go and see this film, and it mm. was amazing. I mean, Meryl Streep, is, is amazing, but playing that um, Margaret Thatcher, she did such an amazing job. So I think what could be better um, than, you know, there's two ways of going going about it. Possibly you could have a great British breakfast, you know, bangers, great British bacon, mushrooms, fried eggs mm-hmm. with some great tea. Or if you have more people around and you want to go a little bit more elegant, why don't you do an amazing British traditional tea with smoked salmon sandwiches, egg sandwiches, mm-hmm. coronation chicken, um, I don't know if you, you, you know about coronation chicken. It's a great traditional British sandwich, which is prepared with uh, chicken, curried mayonnaise, um, apricots, almonds. Um, and I believe it was invented for the Queen's coronation many, many years ago. 
It's like the ultimate in chicken salad. I think it is. we had something similar to it uh, dining uh, at the Ritz in London. I'm sure you You'd did. be so impressed, Ashley. We had a spectacular <laughs> tea. But I do remember the sweetness of the apricots and the creamy chicken salad being very much up our alley. So mm-hmm. coronation chicken, you call it. Coronation chicken. Love it. Oh, uh, I love that. Everybody I know Oscars. seems to love it. Mm. <laughs> I love the idea of breakfast for dinner, too. That really does throw a twist. And if you have a favorite movie, then why not take the best of the movie, its uh, location, where it was shot at, maybe some influence from inside the movie. Like, for instance, in Extremely Loud and Incredibly Close, he eats Fig Newton. So you might put out one of the food ingredients that you found in your favorite movie. But I love the idea for the Iron Lady of definitely an English theme, and you are very loyal, Ashley, to your uh, to your roots. Well, I'm a, <laughs> I, you know I'm, I, I love 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 you know living in Los Angeles. What could anyone wish for better? You know, mm-hmm. it's, the it's true. A great city, and I've been very fortunate to, to live in many great cities worldwide. But yeah. Um, um, I do love my country and my family. Yes. You know, back at home. You have some roots in Paris as well. That is right. And Midnight in Paris, one of the top best picture nominees, uh, could definitely have a French influence on our menus, do you think? Absolutely. Um, You know, I sort of lived in Paris or lived in France for five and a half years in my early 20s um, and actually lived about two years in Paris. So I spent many a midnight in Paris. (laughs) (laughs) Many, many a midnight. So, you know, when I think of Paris, um, I think it's such a beautiful city. Um, last year, I was very fortunate to be there a few times. And, and you really forget just how beautiful it is every time I keep going. But midnight in Paris, it has to be for me oysters. Mm-hmm. Oysters, oysters and, and champagne. And champagne. <laughs> I mean, champagne is champagne. Paris is Paris. And the amazing thing about Paris is, and oysters, even though, of course, there's no oysters in Paris, because they're all from the coast. But Paris, in my opinion, seems to have some of the best oysters on the planet Mm -hmm. because there's so much consumption of oysters that all of those oysters uh, uh, are shipped in from these great French ports all the way, and they seem to get the best oysters. Now, every time I'm in Paris, that's one of the first things I I do. Um, And, you know, oysters and champagne, it's, 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 it's good. It's light. It's not too heavy. And there's nothing more classical than the French approach of just true elegance. Talk to- yeah, respecting the, the, the nature of the oyster, you know, just a tiny little bit of lemon juice, possibly a bit of mignonette, the red wine vinegar with the shallots, some good rye bread, and some amazing butter. I was going to say, you must butter the rye bread. Oh, absolutely. And I was going to ask you, Chef, what ideas you had for sort of stirring up the mignonette. If we wanted to put a classic twist on it, what are your best suggestions for making a topping for oysters? Um, I'm pretty classic, you know, when it comes to oysters. I just love the fresh, natural beauty of the oyster itself. But why not, if you like something spicy, how about adding a bit of fresh grated horseradish to mm-hmm. it? Nice. I see. I, I like that. And, and just very unique and clean with a simple single ingredient addition. Right. And we're also so spoiled here. You know, um, we, 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 you know, I talk about oysters in Paris, but we're so spoiled. We have such amazing oysters, you know, throughout the United States. 
That, that we do. And, we, yeah. but, but there are, I mean, extraordinary oysters from around the world. So just depending upon where you are. That's right. Uh, and what the best oyster you have available to you. Bristol Farms is selling oysters in their seafood department. And the last ones we bought were Fanny Bay's. So they're coming from reasonably local. If you can find British Columbia oysters, great. Right now, because of the cold weather that we've had, the oysters are tasting very delicious and very briny, just the way that we like them. No, I, I, I think cold weather oysters are amazing. Yes, mm, aren't agree. they though? And chef, um, in regard to the help, which is classic Southern cooking. Well, Southern, you know, the the, the amazing South. I mean, mm. you know, I, I've been very fortunate to, to to be in Savannah a few times myself a few years ago, um, enjoying the amazing hospitality of you know the the, the great people. And also with with Paula Dean actually a couple of times, which which, which, which was a lot of fun. But um, you know the South um, well, fried think, chicken, of course. Fried chicken, <laughs> yes. Fried chicken is a must, and all of those amazing pies. Oh, see. I, now, now you're talking. It's pie heaven, though. <laughs> it is pie heaven, and whether you make your own or you buy one store bought, you could put out an an entire dessert buffet of different fruit pies, of nut pies with freshly whipped whipped cream. Um, you could put out a a bevy of ice creams, and you oh, could have okay. a pie bar. I'm feeling hungry, Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> That's how about a good old chicken pot pie as well, oh. maybe? Ah, see now, I love that too. Make the entire <laughs> theme pie. Love that. What's your secret to fried chicken, Chef? Because we have a recipe posted at chefjamie.com right now. And our secret is brining. And then both Lana and I make our fried chicken similarly in that after the brine, it soaks in a Tabasco-infused buttermilk base. And I think that the acidity from the buttermilk definitely tenderizes the chicken. That sounds amazing. I actually don't brine, you know, we, we sort of do do a buttermilk, but I'm going to try that out. Mm. And that, that's the great thing about the chefs. You know, we're always learning. Yes. It's very true, and it, it's nice to have comrades, isn't it? <laughs> thank you for those tips. Well, and it, thank you for yours. Please stay with us, Ashley, because there's more tips to share. It's good to have friends in high places. If you're hosting an Oscar party, your menu will be inspired Further, when we come back, Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana, KFWB News Talk 980. It's another delicious Sunday in your radio. We're planning an award-worthy Oscar celebration with executive chef Ashley James of the Four Seasons Hotel Los Angeles at Beverly Hills, covering all the Best Picture nominees, Best Actress and Actor, your favorite flicks. Lana, we left off talking about the health and help and right. Southern Fried Chicken, and we've moved on to your top movie pick of 2012, yes, I know. I do believe that the artist is going to win for the Best Picture, and it, it just captures the glitz and glamour of the 30s, which was, was such a wonderful era for food. That it was. Ashley, inspire us. What do you think is the best menu that dates back? Well, Lana, you know, I think of sort of those years of Hollywood, you know, the elegance, mm-hmm. the class. Yes. I mean, you know, I think of big ocean liners and silver carts mm-hmm. and champagne mm-hmm. and martinis. And why not a Chateaubriand? Oh, the famous, perfect. You know, Chateaubriand, the head of the beef fillet, which is beautifully roasted, um, roasted or grilled. Uh, served with a classical Bernays sauce mm. and some mm. jumbo asparagus. 
A couple of secrets to Bernays, please, Ashley, because I do my hollandaise in the blender. I find it a bit foolproof that way because you're guaranteed an emulsion. And with the Bernays, how can we just create the most beautiful silkiness or texture, in your opinion? I think, you know, obviously at home, I think the blender is a perfect way of doing it or, mm-hmm. or, the, or the food processor. Absolutely. Yes. Um, it's not the way that, that, that I make it here at the hotel. You know, mm-hmm. um, we make it a little bit different. You know, we have the tarragon vinegar with the, the egg yolks. Mm. We do a quick sabayon. Um, and I actually make a... With the Wait, he do, did just you a quick sabayon. Yeah, I love when <laughs> Chef Ashley James of the Four Seasons throws that out. You know, you just whip together, and he does it so classy with an accent. You just whip together a, a quick sabayon. A quick sabayon. But, you know, I have to tell you a secret. <laughs> I, I think probably for the first 15 years of my career... Um, I used to make Bernays every single day, and I actually cheated. The cheating thing was I didn't, I did not use a bain marie or a double boiler. I would literally just put on direct flame heat, but just very quickly, you know, putting the bowl on the flame, off the flame, on the flame, off the flame, and that's how I used to get this quick sabayon. Uh, that is very much a quick zabion, but that's a risky that. one. Maybe exactly, it's a little bit <laughs> risky. You know, I think the food processor method is very, very good. Um, and I think the most important thing in a good Bernays is you need to start off with a great Bernays reduction, which for myself, uh, I chop shallots, right. a little bit of um, crushed black pepper, yes. some freshly chopped tarragon, which I cook down with a good white wine and some white, white wine tarragon vinegar. And I love the idea of the tarragon vinegar on top of the fresh tarragon. You really get an intensity of flavor. And the beauty of Bernays is really to have that tarragon come through the richness of the butter and, and the cream to almost create a finish where that's the flavor that lingers. That's right. And at the very end, once it's all beautifully emulsified the sauce, just a little bit of fresh chopped parsley and a mm. little bit of extra fresh tarragon. Mm. I see. I don't think it needs a, uh, a Chateaubriand. I think it needs a spoon. Uh, just a, you know, that would be so good on anything, on an eggs, eggs Benedict or, oh, um. you know, here at the hotel, we make the most amazing fries. I'm getting hungry. Huh? Yes, you do make the most amazing yeah. fries. And I'm, and I'm glad that you'll toot your own horn and let everybody know that you do make what are officially extraordinary fries. Yeah. And there's a new or reasonably new menu, a refined approach to street food, available now at the Four Seasons Hotel Los Angeles at Beverly Hills with executive chef Ashley James at the helm that we are so very enamored with. Chef, congratulations to you. Available from 4 p.m. on in um, your windows. That is correct. Dining the, area. That's right. The windows, the amazing bar, which is the amazing bar. Hollywood's living room, we call it. (laughs) I like that. There's all these very international-inspired dishes, and one of them prompted Lana and I to think that it might be the best start to a Moneyball menu. Brad Pitt eats through that entire movie, (laughs) Chef, right? And it's the Best Picture nominee. So um, what do you think of your chicken chipotle cilantro dog for Oscar night? That is great. I mean, you know, we make these in-house chicken chipotle cilantro dogs. But besides that, you know, I think at home, what could be more fun than making your own hot dog bar? Hmm. I, th- I think, you know, we all sort of have local butchers or, or very high-end supermarkets where we can, we can purchase some very good quality hot dogs. What could be more delicious than having those dogs at home on the stove and then a delicious array of condiments, tomato, onions, why not give it a little bit of southern 
well, when I say south of the border twist with some salsa, some guacamole, some queso fresco, the charred corn mango salsa. I mean, nice, delicious. Yeah, I, I love the idea of a hot dog bar. And it's casual and it's fun. And you it's could tie fun. in Cracker Jacks or popcorn on the table. That's or right, and pretzels. Exactly. Or, snack food, ball game food. Love it. Oh, and ice cream at the end? We're coming to your party. Yeah, right. All right. <laughs> there we go. I love that idea. And by the way, if you're not eating a freshly made hot dog from Chef Ashley in Chicken Chipotle cilantro style, at Bristol Farms, Lana and I have a favorite hot dog. If you can't get to New York for a Nathan's or Coney Island, um, there is a brand by the name of Dietz & Watson, which you know from the deli section. And they happen to make, don't you think, Lana, What what is the best tasting Packaged delicious. hot dog on the market. Very delicious. And it has a snap. And it has a snap. Which is nice. I agree. And it's delicious on the flat top if you have a grill or a griddle at home in a large saute pan on the barbecue or even simmered in beer because beer does make a hot dog taste even better. Ask the Dodgers. That sounds really good. Huh? It's true. And, and it, they do taste really, really good. Um, chef, on your artisanal cocktail menu at the restaurant and the bar, is there a spirit that you think might be the perfect compliment? I found one uh, on your menu called Sinful Times. Yes. And it, it <laughs> I love the name. I do too. Um, I love the idea of uh, vodka, the elderflower liqueur, a little bit of lemon juice, agave, and lemongrass just to tie it all in. It sounds refreshing. That's right. And, and I, I love that the healthy, the healthy hint with the agave. Yeah? Yes, mm-hmm. definitely. I think that's a great way to, to sweeten your drinks. And the lemongrass as well. So instead of simple syrup, consider agave influenced by Chef Ashley from the Four Seasons. And you might have just the ultimate winning cocktail on your hands. With a minute or so left here, Chef, tell us about your PBS series and what we can come to expect next from Cuisine Culture. Well, Cuisine Culture was an amazing experience. Uh, we, we filmed 13 programs. Um, worldwide. I'm the chef host of the show and I had the chance to cook with some of the most amazing chefs in in the United States, in France, in Israel. Mm -hmm. Israel was a totally unknown country to me and it was amazing. I just loved it. Cooked with two amazing chefs, um, visited some great wineries, had some great food, great experience. And I hope to go back in the future to Israel, maybe to film some more programs. Uh, London, I was in London to film two shows. And the name of the show again? The name of the show is Cuisine Culture, and it's on PBS, different times depending, different areas of the United United States. Right, um, and it, they're it, repeating your episodes, we know, so we can still catch them. That's right, yeah. Which is great, and we hope that you'll do more. We wish you thank continued you so great success, and congratulations on the shows thus far, and thank you for sharing movie inspiration and ideas. Thank of course, you. before or after the Oscars, you might consider the entertainment industry's living room. Stop by the Four Seasons Los Angeles at Beverly Hills on Doheny. Have a cocktail. Hold your pinky out. Or two. Or two. Cocktail or two. Yes. The, the crispy sushi rice. Ah, and Lana's coming for the crispy sushi and roll. Chef, next That's time the we, number one seller. Oh, my gosh. It looks fabulous. And the next time we come to the hotel, I'm ordering French fries with a side of Bernays sauce. Oh. And they're not just pommes frites, by the way. They're Belgian pommes frites, which of makes course. me think of Belgium and mood frites. And I can't think of anyone better than Ashley to be making them. We're going to see you soon, Chef. Thank you so much. Thank you again. August. May Thank the best you. movie win. Uh, exactly. Thank see you, you soon. Bye-bye. There's more fabulous flavor in your radio right after this. Don't go away.
Food is life. Create and savor yours. Chef Jamie Gwen in your radio along with Lana. Get ready. This is a lesson in olive oil. From the ancient days, olive oil was the oil of the gods, right? Of the sacred. They bathed in it. They anointed with it. And today, olive oil is the paragon of health foods, the golden foundation of the Mediterranean diet. There was recently an international conference on excellence in olive oil, and one of the featured speakers was a gentleman who is at the helm of a movement of olive oil, ensuring that what you buy in the bottle is the best quality first pressing from top quality olives from around the world. He has the number one products, authentic Greek products in production in the nation. And his name is Dr. Eris Chiafalo Gianni. He joins us as he is the CEO and founder of Gaia Products. It's G-A. E-A. And you'll find the Gaia products, the label, on olive oils and olives in Bristol Farms or your favorite supermarket. You'll also find them behind the scenes making the Cat Cora line of products called Cat Cora's Kitchen. Cat is a friend of this show, and she's been on to talk about her product line and her commitment to her Greek culture. And that is exactly what Dr. Eris is all about. He joins us to share his top quality and taste uh, in regard to his olive oils, and he is here now live from Greece. Dr. Aris, are you there? Yes, I am. I'm so glad. Good morning to you. Lana and I are delighted to have you. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, good uh, good evening to, to be you. with you. <laughs> and as Lana said, <laughs> good evening. Right. <laughs> yes, actually, it is an evening now in Greece. <laughs> and, and we're delighted. Thank you for staying awake for us. Uh, extra virgin olive oil is widely appreciated, but not everyone knows and has truly tasted the most delicious, fresh, fruity olive oil. And that was definitely your goal, your mission in creating Gaia products. Tell us about uh, the product line and what exactly Gaia is? Well, Gaia is all about authentic quality Greek products and uh, presenting them all around the world, promoting the Greek uh, cultural culinary heritage, which is the very es- essence of the Mediterranean diet because the Greek diet is the most ancient of all the Mediterranean diets. And it's all about wellness, and wellness is a state where you are very healthy and to that contributes great food, and olive oil is probably the biggest parameter on that, and also feeling nice, uh, and you feel nice when you enjoy life, and you enjoy life when you have good food. And we agree, and that is our mantra as well, so uh, we're in line with you there. Is it true that the highest consumption of olive oil is in Greece, Aris? Actually, by far, we have uh, the double, uh, double per capita consumption when compared to Italy, and about uh, 15 to 16 times more when compared to the per capita consumption in the U.S. But as you said in your introduction, olive oil is literally connected uh, not only with our food, but also with our cultural life and with our heritage. It's it's a product that you see everywhere in Greek history from the Olympic Games to uh, christenings, as you said, and also, of course, the dominant factor in all the dishes that we create. Right. And speaking of Olympic Games, I would be remiss if I didn't mention your incredible background and how very well-rounded your talents and passion are in bringing Greek products to the market to make them number one in the U.S. Uh, everyone should know that Dr. Aris, and because my Greek isn't so strong, I'm not going to pronounce your last name again. 
okay, Aris? Aris is perfect. Aris is perfect. Good, thank you. Yeah, everyone should know um, that Aris is an Olympic champion with the Greek water polo national team. He's also a visiting academic by Europe's oldest and most influential agricultural university, and he has managed to lead Gaia in international markets to be the number one Greek brand. That says a tremendous amount. The other thing I admire so much about you, Aris, both Lana and I, is that you have gone green. And while many people might think that olive oil comes from olive trees and that the process might be very simple and pure, you are the only carbon-neutral olive oil on the market, right? Absolutely. And actually, what uh, you said about olive oil being a green product, it is, uh, it is correct, because if you compare the carbon footprint of olive oil, let's say to a kilo of tomatoes, kilo of tomatoes emits 35 kilograms of carbon dioxide to be produced and be available for the consumer, whereas a kilo of olive oil emits only four kilos of carbon dioxide. Nevertheless, we have mapped this down and we are paying a fee to a, a non-profit a Swiss organization that is reinvesting in renewable energy, thus offsetting the very little uh, carbon dioxide that is emitted by our olive oil production. And this is, we have counted the uh, emissions from the field to the shelves of the international supermarkets. It's really impressive to know what you can do in this day and age to be progressive, and you've done that. We'd like to have a sensory experience here, Aris, on the radio. So we have three bottles of Gaia olive oil in front of us, and uh, we would like to taste the premium organic Greek extra virgin olive oil first and ask you to give us some of the flavor profiles that you sense when you taste this first pressed oil. Yes, let me say first that uh, we have a very simple and easy test for the consumers that want to converge into olive oil uh, to establish quality on olive oil, and this is the hot potato test. If you pour uh, olive oil on a hot potato, baked or boiled, it doesn't matter, the moment the olive oil uh, hits the potato, it releases all its aromas. The heat of the potato releases all of its aromas. And you don't need to be a, b a big expert. If you have a high-quality olive oil, the aromas will be pleasant. You will be smelling olive leaves, freshly mown ground, you know, mown grass, a very pleasant aroma. Mm -hmm. Whereas if the olive oil is not good quality, you will have a heavy aroma. It's easy for the non-expert to understand. If you want mm -hmm. to go a little bit more and be a little bit more daring, <laughs> you yes. can use your wine glasses, you can pour a little bit of olive oil in there and start by smelling. A good olive oil, like our organic olive oil, will smell very fruity, fresh. You will smell, as I said, the olive leaves. You will smell a little bit of, uh, 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 of artichoke in our organic olive oil. Mm -hmm. And then you should go on and tasting it. Mm -hmm. Be careful. When tasting olive oil, you don't take into your mouth more than 5 ml. And 5 ml is the size of a teaspoon. Mm -hmm. Don't put more olive oil than that into your mouth. That's what we're and doing when right now. When tasting it... Mm -hmm. It will leave all these pleasant flavors in your mouth. You will, uh, you will uh, taste green apple. You, you will taste a little bit of artichoke and all this green fruitiness. You will sense a slight bitterness, which is a quality characteristic in olive oil. And then when swallowing it, you will have a burning sensation, a small burning sensation on the throat, which is 
the main reason why olive oil is so very healthy. Yes, and let's pause right there. R.S., when we come back, if you will share with us the virtues and benefits of why olive oil is so good for our health. We'll continue to taste. This is a sensory experience in olive oil. Chef Jamie Gwen along with Lana in your radio. The lesson continues. That is the most delicious olive. We're talking with the CEO and founder of Gaia Products, G-A-E-A. If you are looking for the best products from Greece, we've tasted a lot of them. And let us tell you, Lana and I truly believe that this is a feast for the senses, the best quality Mediterranean products that you will find in a bottle and in a jar. He is Dr. Aris with a 27-letter uh, last name that I'm refusing to pronounce. But he is live from Greece, and we are taking a lesson in olive oil. Um, Aris, we've tasted all of the olive oils, and we've just opened the jars of olives. But um, organic Olympian olives. The texture, uh-huh. the texture of the olives, the brininess of the liquid, which seems very clean to me compared to... Other olive brands, you find the cloudy water really, I find, uh, imparts a flavor that I don't care for when it comes to olives. So what is the secret to canning olives? No, Lana, don't close those. I need another one. (laughs) Uh, Well, first of all, these uh, uh, green uh, organic olives uh, come from Halkidiki region, and, uh, Mm. you know, it's a great olive variety, and it's totally unprocessed, and that's why you like the flavor so much. Mm. So soft. Our other big secret is the very low salinity. We have the lowest salt content on any other olive in the market, and this allows you to really taste the olive as a fruit Mm. and not any other element to to overpower the the real taste of the fruit of the olive. They are simply divine. Mm. Oh, my gosh, so delicious. You've been talking about the salinity of olives, Aris, and we actually came to meet you because of a new product that you've just released, and it is a true invention when it comes to um, olives being available at retail. And it's a snack pack, and if you would, tell our listeners about it, because it has no brine at all. Yes, actually, absolutely no liquid, no mess. You just open and you can eat immediately without messing your fingers, without having any liquid to disperse. But this is not the most important factor. The most important factor is that this is the first olive snack pack in the world without any preservatives whatsoever. The olives are absolutely natural and not treated with anything. And talk about having a snack pack in your car, at your desk, or to put out, you know, with cocktails. It has a very long shelf life, too. It has 12-month shelf life without any refrigeration. It's really impressive. Uh, it is a great, extremely convenient pack. I mean, you can put it even into your children's school bag, take it to the school. No, no liquid to mess up the books. It's pretty great. And it's very easy to open it and enjoy it at any part of your daily routine. Every child from a Mediterranean family just got a Gaia snack pack in their lunchbox. Uh, and your close workings with Kat Cora, we know as well, her brand uh, that is created uh, and packaged by Gaia. Let's talk about applications yeah, it for... It is about our joint yes. passion about the authentic Greek Mediterranean cuisine. Of course, Kat mm. has uh, her Greek heritage, and this is how we came together mm. to promote... It's a good marriage. The, 
the healthy aspects of the Greek Mediterranean diet. Yeah, it's a wonderful marriage. Yeah, the Cat Core Kitchen Greek Sun Dried Tomato Tepanade is, is one of my favorite <laughs> things to mix with any pasta. You just open the jar mm-hmm. and you have the most delicious dish in minutes. Give us some applications, Aris, if you would, as to how to use the best quality extra virgin olive oils in our cooking. Well, first of all, uh, you know, great and good quality olive oils are excellent with raw vegetables and salads. But one very important cooking tip is use olive oil when the dish has been prepared. Use just a minute quantity when cooking, and then when you finish cooking, just before serving, add a little bit of olive oil on top, and this will give excellent flavor and aromas to the dish. And you get all the vitamins and uh, the nutrient elements on the plate. So this is how we do it here in Greece, and it is also one of the secrets of the healthiness of our cuisine. Mm. Uh, Iris, this morning I gently fried an egg in your uh, Greek uh, extra virgin olive oil. First cold pressed. pressed. It was fabulous. She tends to do that at about 5.30 in the morning, Iris. (laughs) (laughs) The egg with it was wonderful, and I've been also baking with it. As well, and I did a granola with uh, with your olive oil, Aris, uh, pecans and oats and uh, nuts, etc., and it turned out fabulous. It's outrageously delicious, and we posted it on the website at chefjamie.com, by the way. If you would like Lana's recipe for pecan, oat, and olive oil granola, you'll find it on the site. We encourage you to use a bottle of Gaia olive oil or Cat Cora's olive oil in the preparation. And Cat actually shared two recipes knowing that Dr. Aris was coming on with us, and we will email those to you if you like. You write to live, L-I-V-E, at chefjamie.com. There is a whole roasted fish with fennel and Kalamata olives and chilies Mm. and a fresh fettuccine with sausage, rob, and the Crete cooking sauce. And we will share Kat Cora's recipes with you, of course. Uh, Aris, I think it's always very important to remind great cooks about the best storage techniques for olive oil because it is a perishable product that's affected by the outside environment. That's why it is on a dark bottle and you should keep it in the coolest place in your cupboard and uh, uh, use, it, uh, use it quickly because this is the ideal situation. And uh, olive oil, of course, as opposed to wine, it doesn't improve with time. But uh, nevertheless, if you have a really great quality olive oil uh, that you have bought originally, it will still have all the nice flavors and the aromas when you use it in your kitchen. Yes, and we plan to use Gaia in our kitchen. We love that on your website at Gaia.gr, so it's G-A-E-A dot G-R, you are having a green Rev oil lution. It is a revolution of olive oil, and if you truly appreciate and your palate can distinguish the best quality olive oil in your dishes, then you should be using and tasting Gaia olive oil. This is the best, purest, most responsible olive olive oil and Greek product line that we've tasted, and we are proud to highlight you. Dr. Aris, it was a pleasure. Live from Greece, we thank you for staying up late, and we hope to see you soon. 
Thank you very much. It was a pleasure for me talking to you about my favorite and beloved subject. How very nice. Thank you. We hope to have you back on again as we continue the lesson. And we hope that you'll stay with us and tune in next Sunday as we have an Academy Awards party. Wolfgang Puck will be joining us. It wouldn't be a party without Wolfgang preparing his Academy Awards menu. You're also going to hear from Tony Gemiani of Tony's Napolitano in San Francisco, just rated the world's best. Best Pizza, and Chef Michael Rossi of The Ranch, the new hotspot in Anaheim, not only saloon and bar, but soon-to-be award-winning restaurant, is going to share his chef's perspective. We want you to know that in its 15th year, the Chalk Follies is currently in rehearsal. Our dear friend Gloria Zigner is supporting Chalk once again with multi-million dollar donations year after year, and we want you to reserve March 29th, 30th, and 31st. Go to chalkfollies.org for tickets, C-H-O-C-F-O-L-L-I-E-S.org. And be sure to join us here next Sunday in your radio when the delicious conversation continues. Serving up seconds at chefjamie.com and Chef Jamie Gwen signing off. We hope you continue to eat well. Thanks for listening. The preceding program has been brought to you by Taste Bud Entertainment. Would you like to know-